Thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us this morning. If you haven't already, take your Bible, turn it over to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Book of Ephesians chapter 2. Here at Redeemer, we normally work our way uh, straight through books of the Bible, but we've taken a bit of a break. And um, the reason we have is because we want to, to focus upon what we're calling gospel foundations. Gospel foundations. As, as you know, the foundation of a building is it, the very essence of its strength. As you know, the foundation of the building is the very thing that holds it up. You know, the foundation of a building, if firm, makes a strong building. A foundation of a building, um, if level and strong, makes a strong building. And so there are these gospel foundations that, that hold up what we call Christianity, hold up our faith, hold up the church of Jesus Christ. We might sum them up in this one very wordy mouthful of a run-on sentence. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone as revealed in the scripture alone for the glory of God alone. And so what we are saying is that the essence of Christianity is the creator God of the universe has sent his only son into the world to redeem a people. And that path of knowing God, that path of being redeemed, that path of being a child of God, that path of having your sin forgiven, that path of belonging to God, that path of resting in his eternal love and his eternal security comes not by anything that we could do, but comes by God's initiative, by God's grace. And it changes people. And so, so far, we've said that God's word, God's truth, is a foundation of our faith. We've said that God's son, Jesus Christ, is the cornerstone of the foundation. And we've said that God's saving grace, that is, his saving work extended to people, is an integral, necessary part of our Faith. And today we're going to continue talking about God's work in people by considering God's gift of faith and works. God's gift of faith and works. And I admit to you that my sermon title this morning is a little bit provocative. It was intended to cause you to pause and go, hold up, wait a minute. He just said works. Preachers can't say works. Grace, faith, no works. And I'll also admit to you that at about 3.30 yesterday, I regretted that title. I sent an email to Andy Dukes, our, our communications um, coordinator. And I said, hey, have you printed those bulletins yet? Yeah, I did that yesterday. Well, then we're going to go with it. So here you go. It's true because it's in the Bible, but I want you to hear me get very clearly. God's gift of faith and works. Now let's define some terms because I don't want to lose you. When the scripture talks about works, here's what it means. Actions, thoughts, and the way we live. Works, actions, thoughts, and the way we live. Now, 
I don't want to bury the lead. Our sermon series so far and this passage that was just read for us makes it very clear that actions, thoughts, and the way we live do not save humans. Actions, thoughts, and the way we live will never earn God's saving favor. Actions, thoughts, and the way we live will never set aside God's hatred of our sin and balance the scales on our behalf. Actions, thoughts, and the way we live will never make God, cause God, tempt God, evoke emotion from God to make him choose to love us. Because our actions, our thoughts, and the way we live, apart from God's grace, will always fall short and bring, and it will always be tainted and marred by sin. So hear me as clearly as you can. Works do not save. If you don't believe me, look at verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. We'll come back to that. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So while works will be an important part of this message, works never save. Works never cause God to love humans more. Works never change God's disposition toward his people. Works never cause God to see us more savably, never cause God to change how he thinks of us, and never cause us to earn or merit God's favor. Have I made that as clear as I can? Because I can keep going. But this passage is filled with talk about works. And so we would be unbiblical and unhelpful if we just purged our thoughts of works away. Second term we need to define, faith. Faith is depending upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, acceptance before God, new life now, and eternal life in the future. Faith is depending upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, acceptance before God, new life now, and eternal life in the future. So how can a human receive forgiveness of sin by trusting Christ and him alone? How can a human be accepted in the sight of God, the one true God who created all things, who is himself holy, who cannot make peace with sin? How can a human be accepted in the sight of God by trusting Christ and him alone to purge our sin and make all things new? How can a human experience new life in this world now by trusting Christ and having the Spirit of God come and dwell within? How can a human have eternal life with God by trusting Christ and him alone? So faith is depending upon Christ for forgiveness, acceptance, new life, and eternal life, and depending upon nothing else. Faith is depending upon Christ and depending upon nothing else. So the main point this morning is this. 
The grace of God, which has made salvation real and tangible. The grace of God that has caused us to see our sin. The grace of God that has caused us to see our need of salvation. The grace of God that is beginning to show us that that we are broken and we need God. That grace always leads to faith in Christ. And faith in Christ is not a work. Faith in Christ is not earning anything. Faith in Christ is not claiming anything for ourselves. Faith in Christ is receiving the gift that God has sent through his son and believing that it is true of us. Faith is saying, I depend upon Jesus and him alone, and I will cease depending upon anything else. Faith is saying, Lord, you are are pouring out your grace I, I see Christ has died for my sin. I see Christ is my Savior. I will trust him. And so our first point this morning, if you're one of our note-taking friends, is grace produces faith. Grace produces faith. Because if you were with us last week, you're probably going, okay, how does this idea of grace and this idea of faith Fit together because last week we looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And what we said from those verses is every human is a dead, sinful sinner who deserves God's wrath, but God, being rich in mercy, took initiative called grace to make salvation possible to build his people. Grace was God's initiative to save. So you might say, okay, if grace is God's initiative to save, how can I know if grace is upon me? Grace produces faith. The grace of God is intended to draw people to see Jesus Christ, the God-man who was born of a virgin, who took on flesh, who lived a perfectly sinful life and yielded that life by dying on a cross to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. Grace is intended to exalt that Jesus and lead humans to say, I need Jesus. And when we say, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, I'm a sinner and I have nothing else, I'm a sinner and there's nothing else I can do, I trust Christ. That's the grace of God bringing us to express faith. Grace is God's initiative. Faith is a gift God gives that humans exercise. So humans respond. The the work of God's grace is to bear the fruit of faith. Perhaps that sounds foreign to you, so let's look at the verse again, chapter 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now when, when Paul here says saved, he means receive the gift of God's salvation, forgiven of your sins, Adopted into God's family, accepted as a child of God, and loved today and forever and eternally. By grace you've been saved through faith. So what Paul is saying is, we come to salvation only as God's grace brings us to faith in Jesus. 
But where there is no faith in Jesus, there is no salvation. How do we know we belong to God? We trust Christ and him alone for our salvation. Grace produces faith. Grace cannot be earned. Faith does not earn God's favor. Faith is a response to the grace of God. Paul says that. This faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Faith is responding to the saving work of Jesus that the grace of God has made clear to us. So I will repeat something that I said last week and I want to say it as clearly and as winsomely as I can. This morning, if you believe that you are a sinner, then God's grace is beginning to work to show you that you're fallen and you're broken and you need a Savior. Lean into that grace and ask for God to reveal more of his grace to you, to draw you to his Son, Jesus. If you're here today and you believe not only that you're a sinner, but you need a Savior, that you can't save yourself, God's grace has brought you to that biblical conviction. Lean in and plead for more grace. If you're here this morning and you believe that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only Savior, God's grace has brought you to that point. Lean in and cry out for more grace. And if you believe that you're a sinner who needs a Savior and Jesus Christ is the only Savior and that He died to cover your sins and His blood is enough to save you and cleanse you and purge you and you're ready to trust in Him, then God's grace has saved you and that is faith. And that is faith. And the grace of God is intended to lead humanity to a position of faith where Jesus is exalted as the only Savior. So so I ask you, if you're anywhere in there, God's grace is drawing. God's grace is at work. Humans don't get to any of those conclusions in and of themselves. So I would exhort you to plead with God to graciously bring you to a point of faith where you can say, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and Jesus is my only Savior, and I trust Him for my forgiveness of sin, my acceptance before God, my new life now, and my eternal life in the future. Sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And there is no other hope. Ephesians 2 would be one of many passages that tell us this. Matthew chapter 11, verses 27 and 30, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Son 
excuse me, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is saying is by coming to me, by, by, by trusting in me for salvation, you will find love, you will find compassion, you will find mercy, you will find forgiveness, you will find hope, you will find new life, you will find restoration, you will find reconciliation, you will find everything that your soul longs for. Come to me. The grace of God produces faith. The call of the scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation 20. Two is God is calling on a broken humanity to trust Christ and Christ alone for their hope, their forgiveness, their salvation, and that people that God is building will dwell with him forever and ever and ever. And that is the hope of the gospel. So I know preachers are supposed to put an invitation at the end of the sermon, but I'm going to put it in the middle if that's okay. My greatest hope today is that you would be restored in the power of God's grace in you and you would be renewed in your faith in Jesus and you would believe that your sins are indeed forgiven. You indeed have acceptance before God. You indeed have the power of the Holy Spirit now and you indeed believe that God will be with you forever because his grace has brought you to faith. And perhaps for the first time, you will look to Jesus and be saved. Perhaps for the first time, you will look to Jesus and be saved. You can pray to him today. You can cry out to him today. You can ask him to help you today. Now, I can't stop there because the passage doesn't stop there. And it leads to a second point, that faith produces works. Faith produces works. Let's just read the passage. because, Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, now you're like, hold up, dude. Didn't you just tell me that works can't save? Yes, I did. Didn't you just tell me that works can't stack the deck in my favor? Yes, I did. Didn't you just tell me that works can't make me right before God? Yes, I did. And Paul said that in the previous verses, but, but the point of the scripture is the faith that saves transforms sinners into obedient, joyful followers of Jesus. The point of the scriptures is God doesn't save us and just put us in this holding tank till we die and go to heaven. But when he saves us, his spirit dwells in us to change us. It's the will of God that we not be who we used to be. It's the will of God that everyone who belongs to Jesus bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's the will of God that everyone who belongs to Christ be 
progressively changed from rebellious sinner into joyful child of God. You struggle with sin, so do I, but it's the will of God that by the power of the Spirit, we would become more like Christ in this life. And often, preachers, particularly those my age and younger, that would be under 40, love to preach about grace and faith because young people love this. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor and no one should call us to anything but trusting Jesus. Young people love that. But trusting Jesus is saying, I yield my life to him. I yield my ways to him. I yield my kingdom to his kingdom. I yield my decisions to his word. I yield my freedom to his purposes. I yield my joys to his calling. I'll suffer if he wants me to. I'll forsake sin to glorify his name. It's the will of God that the children of God bring much glory to God by being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul calls that works. So the, the faith that saves produces works. Some of us are in a Sunday school class here at Redeemer studying the Protestant Reformation. This happened about 500 years ago where the gospel was recovered. If you don't care about church history, just zone out for a minute. I'll come back to you in a moment. But the essence of the battle of the Protestant Reformation was, how are we saved? Is it by grace, by works, or by some combination of both? And those of you who are theologically astute understand why I wish I could have changed the title to this sermon a little bit. Because the predominant answer in 1500 was, man is saved by the cooperation of God's grace and works. God's grace is like coffee in the morning. It just helps us get a little kickstart, but we earn God's favor in how we live. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying the grace of God and faith in Christ is the only way that humanity is reconciled to God, exclamation point. But that saving faith always bears fruit. John Calvin said it this way one of those reformers in 1500s, he said, man is reconciled to God by faith alone. Period. Amen. But the faith that saves is never alone. So I guess that was a comma if you want to be grammatically correct, okay? But the faith that saves is never alone, meaning the faith that saves alone always bears fruit. If you want to be a little more artistic and a little less theologically snobby, Rich Mullins said that your faith without fruit, your faith without works, is as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Point made. You all got that, right? Okay. So I want to be so clear. I know I'm living on a razor's edge of heresy here, okay? 
And I want to be so clear. We find salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. But when we find that salvation, the Spirit of God dwells within us, and God has purposed that all those who belong to him would have new ways of thinking, new desires of the heart, new freedom to obey the word of God, and a new desire to bear fruit. That's what Paul is saying. The God who saved you by grace will also graciously dwell with you to help you bear fruit in this life. That's what he means when he says in verse 10 that God prepared good works that we should walk in them. God has prepared, he's changed our hearts, he's put his spirit in us. He has prepared that we would walk through this life in a way that we would reflect the saving power of Jesus. So I'm asking you to grant me this morning that the grace of God that saves always produces faith. And the grace of God that saves and produces faith produces new life produces transformation. That it would be the will of God for us who know Christ to bear fruit in what we say, how we think, and how we carry out our day-to-day lives. If you don't believe me, go back up to verse 4. I'll spare you the Greek lesson, but in verses 1 through 7, in the original language, this was written in the language of Greek, there's one sentence. And as you know, every sentence has a main subject and a main verb. That's all the English for today. But the main pointed verb in that one sentence is this. God made us alive with Christ. That's the main point of verses 1 through 7. God made us who by grace through faith are united to Jesus to be what? Alive with Christ. We, we before were dead in our sins, but now we're alive. So something has fundamentally changed within a Christian. We were spiritually dead, now we're spiritually alive. Before we belonged to what Paul has called the prince of the power of the air. Now we have a new king and we belong to Jesus. Before our allegiance was to self and pleasing self, but now we have a new allegiance to honor God for his saving grace. Before the power of sin and its fruits Death, guilt, shame, and fear were at work in us, but now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of God is at work in us. Before, our disposition was toward what we want and how we want it, but now our disposition is toward belonging to Christ and bearing fruit for his glory. Before, our lives were characterized by death and deadness and darkness and sin, but now our lives are able to be characterized by a faith-driven obedience to God. So I'm asking you this morning to reconcile with this, that the Lord who saves transforms. The Lord who saves wants to bear fruit through his 
people that God saved you because of nothing in you, and yet the longer you belong to him, he desires your thoughts to become more biblical, your desires to become more God-honoring, and your actions to become more exalting to Jesus. You may say, Pastor, how do I do that? First of all, take up the Bible and read it. Have you ever wondered why the New Testament, the whole Bible, but particularly the New Testament, is so filled with commands? Do this, don't do that. Start doing this, stop doing that. If all God wanted us to get from those commands was that we needed Jesus, we could have stopped after the Gospels, I promise. But the purpose of all of those commands in all of those letters, like the one of Ephesians, is to show us what new life looks like. New life looks like exalting Jesus. New life looks like believing the word of God. New life looks like taking the commands of God and making them a goal for our life. New life looks like joining God on his mission. New life looks like loving our spouses well. New life looks like parenting our kids out of love and compassion. New life looks like having our anger turned into soft, broken, spirited compassionate hearts. New life looks like our lives being changed. Take up the Bible and read because on every page the Bible is showing us what new life looks like. Second, pastor, how do I do this? Remember that the grace that brought you to faith will carry you all the way into eternity. So I said that grace produces faith I would also say that faith seeks after God's grace. Faith seeks after God's grace because if I know that apart from God, I'm nothing, but in Christ, I'm redeemed, then I will go to God and I will say, Lord, would you graciously change me? Would you graciously change my mind, my heart, my desires, my proclivities? Would you make things different in me? Grace seeks after, I mean, faith seeks after God's grace. Third, we can talk to others and ask them to help us. We can talk to others and we can ask them to help us. I wonder, would you have the gumption to ask someone really close to you where your life falls short of the glory of God and give them five minutes to answer without interrupting? Anybody here want to sign up for that task? You all want to be asked, right? One reason that God built the church was so that we together could seek to bear fruit for the glory of his name. So whether that's in a community group context, whether that's in a Bible study context, whether that's in an accountability context, we need help. We need help. For those of you that live in families, I'd really challenge you to ask that of your family members because they see the worst of who we are and the best. And we need to celebrate that together. So our main point this morning is that our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And 
the grace of God produces faith, and faith produces new life. Faith produces obedience. Faith produces works. So when we look at our lives and we see sin, I'm guessing that might have happened to you sometime this week. Anybody besides me, you looked at your life and you saw sin? What do we do? First of all, we look to the cross. And in faith, we trust that Christ's blood covers our sin and reconciles us to God. And then, in faith, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us be different because the Spirit of God works in the children of God to bear fruit for the glory of God. So if you're here today, maybe you're exploring Christianity, maybe you're exploring Redeemer, maybe you're exploring what it means to be a Christian. Let me just tattle on this group, okay? We are messed up. Don't worry, I'm not going to point fingers. We're messed up. In this room, there's brokenness, there's hurts, there's fear, there's anxiety, there's sin, there's unrepentant sin. But what we believe is not that we are holier than thou, but we believe that the grace of God brings us to faith in Christ and Christ has saved us and his spirit is at work to change us. And so we want to be transformed together. So today, I might invite you to Christ for the first time. Talk with us about what that looks like to trust in Christ because Jesus indeed saves the most wretched of sinners. Second, some of you are children of God who are stuck in your sin. Perhaps you've even made peace with your sin. Perhaps you've even made peace with your sin by convincing yourself that how you live, think, doesn't matter because we're all going to go to heaven anyway. I would compel you to read verse 10 and believe that faith bears fruit. Faith brings forth obedience to God and pray for God to make you desire faith, desire grace. Desire obedience, desire new life, desire conviction of sin, desire to be transformed. Some of you are so convicted and broken down by your sin that you doubt that God could love you, that you doubt that there could ever be anything acceptable that comes out of you and you just see yourself as a worm waiting on heaven. And to you, I would say, you're God's workmanship. He's poured out his grace. He's brought you to faith. His spirit dwells within you. You're his workmanship. He's committed to you. He desires to bear fruit through your life. So my challenge to you today would be to believe that you can be and will be transformed because that's what God desires to do with your life. That addiction does not have to win forever. That 
that little sin that just nags you day in and day out does not have to win forever because Jesus transforms sinners. And then this is where I perhaps believe that most Americans are. Fourth, I think many of us just are either so busy or so focused on other things or so stale that we just really don't honestly think much about God, Christ, the Word, the church, our sin, where we are in this world. We're kind of just blitzing through paycheck to paycheck, another day, another dollar, just trying to survive. Will you at least join me in trying to slow down, read Ephesians 2 thoroughly, and ask the Spirit to bring about a deep yearning to walk in the powerful, saving grace of Jesus that changes all things. Let's not make peace with being so distracted we forget the Lord. And let's all believe that God, being rich in mercy, sent his Son to make us alive in Christ, to be forever seated with him in heavenly places to experience his saving power.